Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Super Bowl? No one? A couple people back here. Um, I do not follow football at all. I am not a huge football fan. Hockey is my sport, but I do like the Super Bowl for three things. The food, everyone say amen, the food, the commercials, and seeing people get irrationally upset at their TV because of the game. Those are the only three things that I watch it for. The rest, I don't care about the game. I'm sorry. I just found out today what teams were playing because I saw a Patriots jersey, so I was like, I guess they're playing today. But um, so I, if you guys are watching the Super Bowl, have fun. If you are eating Super Bowl food, God bless you. Enjoy. <laughs> have, have fun with that. So um, if you guys don't know who I am, um, my name is Pastor Megan. I am the children's pastor here at Community Church. I have been here for, I think it's been around eight months now. Um, and so thankful for you guys for just how welcome you've been and just how um, you've just like, really just accepted me into the community church family. And so, yeah, I've been here for eight months. For the last three and a half years before that, I was in Peterborough doing some Bible college. And before that, I was growing up in Burlington. So I'm there now again. So I've kind of just come full circle, come back, living at home with my mom. And I know what you think. That sounds horrible. It's not as bad as you think. Don't knock it till you try it. You got to just save some money. Um, do whatever you can. So uh, that's a little bit about me. I, um, I like to say I have this thing called hobby ADD. I have a hobby ADD because um, I don't stick with hobbies for very long. I'll do them for like two weeks, like really, really intense. And then I'll forget about it for months. And then so I just like have this like cycle, right? So like I'll get really into um, a, a really like, reoccurring one is crocheting. So I will get so into crocheting and I'll like, I'm determined to finish like 10 baby hats. I'll do a bunch of them in like a three week time. And then I'll just like put it away and forget about it until the next baby is born. And I'm like, oh, crocheting again, right? Or rock climbing. I once rock climbed three times a week for a month. And then I don't think I've been back since then. I just, like, get really invested, and I'm like, oh, I'll come back to it later. Um, reading, same thing. Watercolor I've done. It. Um, all these different things, that hobbies that I would, I would try and then move on to something else. Um, one of them, I, I like to play the piano occasionally. I'll just dabble at the keys. And it's funny because when I was a kid, I hated piano lessons. Absolutely hated them. Like, they would try to pull me into the lesson. Um, I hated practicing. But now it's just, like, something I just do for fun, right? I just kind of go back to three months in between, like, every <laughs> periodically we go back to. But whenever I'm in front of a piano, I remember something that my piano teacher said to me. Uh, she was sitting down telling me how important practice was. And she was saying, Megan, practice doesn't make perfect. And I was like, my grade eight mind, or not grade age eight mind, was just blown. I was like, what? My whole life I'm told that practice makes perfect. And she said, no, no, no. Practice makes permanent. Whatever you practice, if you do it over and over again, no matter if it's right or wrong, that becomes permanent. Practice makes 
permanent. And so whether you are learning an instrument or you are working out trying to get the proper form, uh, whatever you're doing over and over again, practice makes permanent. And whatever you do over and over again, it's going to stick. So I learned this one the hard way uh, when I was teaching myself guitar. I had a little DVD that I would put on and I had like, okay, do this chord and strum it. Like one, two, three, four. Next chord, one, two, three, four. And I did that for like hours and hours, just trying to learn my chords, trying to learn strumming. And so I'm teaching myself. And then one day my dad was like, let's get you actual lessons. Like let's send you somewhere so you don't have to practice at home. Get the music out of my house. <laughs> and so I go there and I'm like so proud to like show them what I know on my own. And I get there and they're like, your form is horrible. Like, your form is absolutely horrible. Like, you're doing the chords right, but you're touching other strings, and it's just not good because I had practiced the wrong way. I had made permanent the wrong way of doing it, and so to actually change my form took tons of time, took tons and tons of practice because our practice makes perfect. It usually comes down to muscle memory, right? When you're working out and you're trying to get the right form, it's muscle memory. After you do it so many times, your body just instinctually and just like second nature will just be able to do that. It's like muscle memory. Um, I remember when I was learning how to drive, because it is never a good experience learning how to drive. I don't think I've had anyone who told me that they had a stress-free experience learning how to drive, but I was getting taught how to drive from my mom and it was not going well. She was trying to teach me how to back into a spot, and so I'm asking questions like, how far do I turn the wheel? When do I start turning the wheel? Like all these things of like how to do it, and the only instructions that she was giving me was, you just do it. I'm like, that helps you because you have done it time and time again, but I am still learning. I hadn't learned the muscle memory yet. I, it hadn't become instinct to me yet. Now, of course, I can do it. I don't have to think about where or how far I'm turning the wheel. But back then, it wasn't muscle memory. It wasn't something that was uh, an instinct. So the things that we regularly practice, the things that we regularly do, the things that become habits to us, they actually begin to become instinct. They begin to change our regular behavior. And habits are so, so powerful like that. Like maybe you have a habit and it's just an instinct when you leave a room, you turn off the lights. Or you wish that your kids had the habit of, of, of turning off the lights when they left the room, right? Or maybe you have a habit and it's, it's so instinct that when you get nervous, you bite your nails, right? That's me. Nervous, I just, I bite my nails. I hate it, but you do it because our habits are so powerful. They determine our behavior. They determine our regular behavior and our instincts. So... I want to ask you guys, how are your habits? What habits do you have today that determine who you are? What habits do you have that determine how you live and your behaviors? How are your habits? Do you have a habit of prayer? Do you have a habit of getting into the word? Do you have a habit of getting alone with God and just spending time in his presence? How are our habits today? Because our habits determine our behavior. And so we are going to be talking today about uh, some habits that Daniel had. And we learn about the habits of Daniel. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Daniel 6. And we're going to be learning about how his habits determined his behavior in the good times and in the bad times. 
So before we do that, let's just, let's just pray and just ask that this would be God's word, uh, not mine. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time here today to dig into your word and to learn uh, more about you and more about your ways. I pray, Lord, that as we, um, as we dig in here, God, that it would not be my words, but I would be hidden behind the cross. I'd be hidden behind what you want to say today. So, Lord, God, would you just speak today? God, would you just um, resonate in our hearts today? Whatever we need to uh, hear, Lord, let it just be said. Amen. So we're going to be reading in Daniel 6, starting in uh, verse 7. But before, we're going to get into a little bit of a backstory of Daniel so we can understand where we are coming from when we get to chapter 6. So uh, Daniel, he grew up in Jerusalem. He grew up, he was an Israelite, and so he followed the laws of God, and he grew up in a place where everyone around him, you know, was kind of following the same moral compass, the same laws. He's going around. So he's growing up, and he gets to probably the age 13, 14. He's just going around doing his, his life. He probably had some school, probably learned some things. And then all of a sudden, this big, bad king, King Nebuchadnezzar, comes in. If I was with the kids, I would have them repeat King Nebuchadnezzar, and they would all say, King Nebuchadnezzar, because it's a hard one. And he came, and he besieged uh, Jerusalem, and he took all these people captive out of the land, and he brought them back to this place, Babylon. Everyone say Babylon. Babylon. He brought them back to Babylon, and this is where um, our story takes place in the, in the nation of Babylon. And so um, I'm going to read in chapter 1, verse 3, it says this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for great kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So here he is. He collects all these royal people, all these nobles, and he brings them to this palace. And these are handsome men. They are strong. They are intelligent. If you look around, it's going to look like an episode of The Bachelorette. Like this is one Hannah G away from being The Bachelorette set right here, right? And so um, this is uh, where Daniel is training. He is one of these men here, and he's training for three years. And over these three years, he gains the, um, he gets the attention of the king. And he starts rising in the ranks as he just proves himself over and over again. And so when we find ourselves in chapter 6, he eventually is set to lead over the whole kingdom. And he's got these people over him. So let's read in chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule through the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So Daniel here finds himself over around 122 other officials, other administrators, other people that were in charge of different provinces um, and nations around Babylon. And so he is like the head, and he's got all these people under him. And Daniel, if you know the story, you know Daniel is a man of character. 
He's a man of God. He is moral. He's upright. And he does not allow corruption to fly. And so all these people under him, they did not like Daniel very much. They did not want him in power over them. They were probably jealous of all the attention he was getting, all of the power that he was having, right, in this position. And if they wanted to have any kind of, like, side hustle corruption going on in their provinces, Daniel was not going to let that happen. So they're like, we need to get this guy out of here. We need to find a way to kick him out, like, pin something on him. And so they're trying all these things, thinking all these ideas. But Daniel was such a man of character that they couldn't pin anything on him when it came to his job or, you know, doing anything wrong there. And so they say in verse 5, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the laws of his God. So nothing else was wrong with him. They couldn't find anything wrong with him except for if it had something to do with the laws of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. What a great way to start a conversation, right? What if he just went to you and like, may Cat Voss live forever, right? You'd be like, wow, I got to listen to this girl, right? That's awesome. So he lived forever. The royal administrators, um, prefects, satraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So they kind of like pump his ego a little bit. They're like, your majesty, like you're so great that no one should pray or worship anything else, anyone else, except for you. And so the king was like, hmm, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. I'm like, I'm pretty cool. Like, I'm pretty, pretty good king. I'm going to put this down in writing. And so when the king actually did that, and they put it in writing, it became sealed. It became, you cannot take that back. You can't cancel it. Not even the king himself could revoke that decree then. It became final. And if you remember our, our friend Daniel, you know that this was an issue for Daniel. This was an issue because he couldn't worship other gods. He had a habit. Daniel had a habit that every day, three times a day, he would go to his room, he would go upstairs, he would open the windows towards Jerusalem, get on his knees, and he would pray. Every day, three times a day, he would go and he would get alone with God. He would spend time with prayer. He would spend time getting to know who God was in his presence. He had a habit every day, three times a day. And so this is what he did. Daniel was not a newbie to prayer. He was not unfamiliar with the word of God, with the voice of God, with who God was. He was so deeply rooted in his habit of going to God. And so Daniel could have done some other things. When he heard about this decree, he could have run away. I'm, that's probably what I would do. He could have gone to the king. He could have just not prayed. Like, he had so many different options when he heard that this decree was made, that if he was caught praying, he would be thrown to the lion's den, and he would die. But he didn't do any of those other options, right? If you guys know the story, like, try to just, like, block that part out. Just, like, think, like, in the moment. He could have done those things, but he didn't. He actually, he goes, and we read about what he does in verse 10, it says this. Now, when Daniel learned of the decree, when he did, when he learned of the decree, 
that had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before, Daniel went and he had this habit of meeting with God so much that when he was in the face of trouble, when he was in the face of danger and this difficult situation, it was the first thing that he did. The very first thing. It became instinct for him to meet with God. It became instinct for him that when a difficult situation came up, he said, I got to pray about this. When he was in danger, he prayed. If he was scared, the first thing he did, pray. Right? If he didn't know what to do, the first thing that he would do, pray. He had an instinct that came out of the habits that he had formed in his life. So I have a, a bit of a habit that I'm trying to break. When I, uh, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that I do is check my phone. And I'm trying to break it because I know that that's not what I want. My first thing that's be filled with my mind in the morning. But that's my instinct. That's my habit. That's something that, uh, it's not a good habit, but that's my, that's my instinct. Wake up, check my phone. So what are our instincts? What are your instincts? When something comes up, what's the first thing you do? Right? What is the first thing that we do? Daniel's was to pray. When there was a difficult situation in front of him, when he was afraid, he went and he prayed. He went and he met in front of God three times a day. He got alone with God because he had built the habits in his life that allowed it to become an instinct. It kind of reminds me of first responders. And so first responders, like our firefighters, our police officers, our, our paramedics, all of them, their jobs actually depend on them being able to respond correctly in the face of, of stressful situations and dangerous situations. Their job depends on them being able to respond well and having the right instincts. But these instincts, they're actually not, they're not gained by like just on the fly, in the middle of a burning building, right? They just kind of throw them in first day. Like, that's not how they learned those instincts. It actually happens months and months before in the training time, right? So a firefighter, you don't just throw them into a burning building and say, can you just evacuate these people and hope that their instincts are right? No, they have practiced that situation over and over and over again. They're, that scenario that they have run, they have done it in a low-pressure situation over and over again until their habits are formed that when they're in the face of danger, they can do it out of instinct. They can do it, and their responses are correct because their habits and their training determine how they respond to situations. And that happens for us too. The habits that we form determine how we can respond in the midst of really difficult situations. So how are our, our instincts? What do we do on a regular basis that determines how we are going to respond to the things right in front of us? What are the things that we're doing that determine when we come into a stressful situation, like how we're going to respond? And I know that all of us really want to say that, you know, when we come into a hard time, oh, I'm going to pray about it. Right? When we come into a hard time or I don't know what to do, I'm going to go to the word. But unless we actually make those habits in our lives, we're not going to have that as an instinct. 
And so we need to create habits in our lives that when we come into a difficult situation, it is second nature for us to run to the presence of God. It is second nature for us to crave the word of God in front of us because our habits will determine our instincts. And our habits will determine how we respond. So we need to be like Daniel. We need to be like Daniel and set up good habits. They're going to able to help us respond in those situations. So Daniel's praying up in his room, and it's not long before the people that want him dead come find him. Right? They're, they're coming along. It says this, that uh, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. I think it's amazing that they knew where to find him. They knew that he was going to be praying. They knew that Daniel was such a man of God, such a man of prayer, that even in the midst of that difficult situation, in the threat of death, they knew that he was going to be praying up in his room on his knees. His enemies knew that he was going to be there. Actually, their whole plan depended on him still praying in the midst of that situation. Like, the plan fails if he just didn't pray, right? And so his enemy knew that he was such a man of discipline and prayer that he was not going to be shaken in the midst of that situation. I really hope that the people around me know where to find me when I'm struggling. They know where to find me when I'm afraid. I really hope that the people around me know that my, sh- my faith isn't going to get shaken, when something comes up, right, or, or, or whatever it is, like life comes up. I hope that they know that I'm such a person of prayer and of God that I will be praying in those times. I really hope that people around us, this church, and your lives be able to see that in us, right? And that happens because he was known for his habits. What he did every day, three times a day, determined his behavior, and people saw it. People saw that. They knew that he was going to be praying. So the men, when they find him, they're like, ha, ha, he played right into our plan, right? But God's like, I got a bigger plan. But they, like, they, their plan is working, so they go back to the king, and they say to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict or king's issue can be changed. They're like, remember, you put it down. You can't change it. And so King Darius is like, okay, fine. His fate was set. The decree couldn't be taken back. His faith His fate was set. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone had been brought and placed out over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own singent ring and with the rings of the nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Daniel's fate was set. When he was in that den, there was nothing could be done to change it. The stone was in front of it. There's nothing they could do to, to move that. His fate was set. This was a hopeless situation. Imagine for, for a minute, you don't know the end of the story. 
you haven't heard it through flannel graph multiple times. Pretend right now you are in the midst of that situation. It is hopeless. Here is this man, this man of God, a man of character, man of discipline, this, this all around would say is a good guy in this den with lions about to get eaten. This is a hopeless situation. There is like 0% chance that anything good could come out of this, right? At least it looked like to everybody else. But what seemed like such a hopeless situation didn't seem to shake Daniel's faith. It didn't shake him. He, he didn't see it the same way that everyone else did. Everyone else saw hopelessness. But Daniel, he saw something else. He saw hope. He saw an opportunity for God to work there. So the next morning when they came back to the den, they found Daniel alive. What? When did that happen, right? We'll get to that. Don't worry. And so they found him alive, and Daniel answered, May the king live forever. May God set, God, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Now have I not have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted God. No wound was found because he had trusted in God. Daniel knew that, you know, everyone else saw hope a situation, but Daniel saw a situation that God had the possibility to show his power. He saw a possibility for God to be at work in that hopeless, hopeless situation, that hopeless den, he saw what God could do, and he anticipated that God was going to reach his hand and help him, that God was going to help him out. He could anticipate the things because he had become so close to God. So people say that I'm like my mom. Maybe you're here and you're like your daughter, right? But they say that I'm like my mom. We kind of look alike. Um, we have the same humor. We like the same food. We get, like, randomly excited about the same random things. And so... And, and I know her pretty well. I know her so well that when I'm at home, I can anticipate the things she's going to say and the things she, she's going to do. Like, I know if I say something, I know what she's going to say in response to it because she said the same joke, like, for, like, 20 years, right? And so I know that if I just randomly ask her, I'm like, hey, mom, like, where's my hairbrush? Like, can, have you found, seen it anywhere? She is instinct. She's going to sing the VeggieTales song, Where's My Hairbrush? I just know that's going to happen because... I know my mom. <laughs> Thank you. It's great. Sometimes I just do it for fun, right? I'm like, hey, mom, where's my hairbrush? She's like, oh, where is my hairbrush? Right? And so because I know my mom, I can actually anticipate what she's going to do, what she's going to say, because I know her well enough. I know her ways. And that's kind of the relationship that Daniel had with God. Because he had this habit of meeting with God, he had an intimate relationship with God. He knew him so much. He knew him so well. He knew his voice. He knew his ways. He knew the ways that God usually came and, and helped him out. And so he knew him so well, he could anticipate the things that God could do in that situation. So when everyone else saw hopelessness, he saw hope. He saw how God had a possibility to work in that situation. He knew his ways. And so 
are we in a place today where we know God's ways? Are we in a place today in our relationship with God that we, we know his voice and we know his presence? Are we in such an intimate relationship with God that we can actually anticipate and we can see opportunities for God to work? We can see miracles and the possibility for miracles in our situations when everyone else sees hopelessness. Are we in a relationship with Jesus? Yes, yeah, we're in a relationship, but are we in a deep, intimate relationship where we go know God in that way? And relationships, they take time, they take work, and they take commitment. And our relationship with God isn't any different. And so we actually have to, it's, and our faith isn't about works, we read that, but when we come to our relationship with God, we actually have to um, spend time with him. If we want to know his voice, we actually have to spend time listening to it. And so when we talk about these spiritual disciplines, when we talk about these habits of reading our Bible and, and praying, we don't get it confused. It's not a, re a religious obligation. We don't do, do, we don't do those things because we're checking it off a list. We don't do those things because those are the things that foster relationship with God. Those are the things that are going to get us close to God and make sure that we know his voice, we know his ways, we can see the way that he works in our lives. So we do those things. We, we pray. We spend time alone with God because it fosters relationships. And that um, drive for relationship, that, 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 that need and that want to be closer to God is actually what fuels those habits and what fuels those things. Because habits are so important. They're so powerful because the habits that we set out in our lives determine our behavior. They determine how we will respond in difficult situations, and they determine how we will see those situations differently. Will we see hopelessness or will we see hope? So our habits are important. So how do we make habits? How are habits formed? How do we get our lives into a place where we are actually um, setting out good habits? And so I'm going to say four things. If you're taking notes, four things, super easy. They're all numbered. Um, and the first one is ask for the desire. We aren't going to do anything that we don't want to do. If it's a diet, if it's working out, if we don't want to do it, we're not going to do it. So ask for the desire to meet with God. Ask for the desire to pray and to know him more. Because that will actually help us and drive us in order to do these things. And you know what? Even if you don't feel like doing it, do it anyways. Do you know why? Because when we pray, we want to pray more. When we read the word, we want to read it more. Because when we get a taste for an intimate relationship with Jesus, we can't get enough of it. And so even if right now you're like, oh, I really don't want to do it, just start because it will draw us into uh, wanting to do it more. The second one, second point, recognize what you are up against. What distractions are in your way? What things in your life are actually stopping you or has, like, putting a barrier to ha starting these habits in your life? What things are your opposition? Recognize your opposition. So Galatians 7, 17 says, 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. So we have our flesh and we have our spirit. Our spirit is saying, I want to know God more. Our flesh is saying, I'm tired. Can I sleep? Our spirit is saying, I really need to take this to God. Our flesh is saying, I'm too busy. Right? Our flesh tells us, oh, it's okay, just check your phone. Right? Our flesh wants to do uh, anything other than that. And it's always going to be in opposition with our spirit. And so know what you are up against because uh, an attack that we are not aware of is an attack we can't defend ourselves from. So be aware of what things you are up against when you're setting these habits. Number three, set a goal. Goals are not non-spiritual, right? You're like, oh, I can set a goal. Like, I'm just going to be like, I'm just going to pray more. Just, I'm just going to pray. Like, they're just like vague, vague goals, right? Vague things you want to do. But Daniel, he actually had a goal three times a day. He had a goal. And goals, they give us something to aim for. They give us something that we can actually uh, visually see. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're wanting to do. And so everyone's goals may look different. For you, your goal could be reading your Bible for five minutes when you wake up. For others of you, maybe your goal is spending your time and your commute in prayer, right? If you have like 20 minutes on your way there, put some worship music on, and your goal is just, just, just pray on your way to work, right? Maybe for you, your goal is to read the Bible in a year. Wherever you are at, set a goal that is going to challenge you just a little bit, just, just that little bit. And when you, when you get there, you can challenge yourself just a little bit more. And so goals actually help us, give us something to aim for. Number four is uh, accountability. No one can do it um, alone. And so get somebody accountable to you. Right? Get somebody that if you say, this is my goal, this is what I want to do, have somebody checking in on you. Have somebody coming in and, and asking you, how is that going? Because we... We, regularly, we rarely can do things alone. And that's why I think that the church is so important. Because if you look around, these are all people that, that want to help you grow. They want you to be so close with God. And these are the people that can actually help you and push you and to strive in that relationship with God. So habits are a powerful thing. Habits determine our behavior, how we respond to situations, and how we see how they go. But habits can also do another thing. Habits have the power to change culture. We read further in, uh, in our passage, it says this, that then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the people and every language and all earth. And he says, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This is going out to the nation. This is going to everyone. Because of the power of a habit... 
a king who once made a decree saying that they can't pray to anyone else is now saying, worship the God of Daniel because he has the power to save from lions. And so we see that Daniel's habits had a greater impact. Daniel's habits, the way that he set up his life, actually had an impact on the culture of this nation around him. And I want to be able to say these things to our nation, to to our country and our church. I want these things to be able to be said. So often, we, we think that culture is only changed by our big actions by massive changes and over lots and lots of people. But so much of culture is actually determined by the things that we do on a regular basis. So much of culture is changed because of the habits that we have in our lives. Our habits are so, so powerful. It has an opportunity to change culture. So if we want to see culture change, in this church, in this area, in this country, it actually starts with us and the habits that we form. It starts with us on an individual level because our habits have a power to change. So what are your habits? What habits do you have today that are determining how you respond in situations? What habits do you have today that determine how you see the situation that you're in? Do you have a habit of turning to God first and and knowing that you need to go to God in prayer? Do you have a habit of of being so deeply rooted in the word? What are our habits today? So maybe you're here today and you'd say, I don't really have many of these habits. I I don't really have much in the, in the form of spiritual disciplines. What's one thing that you can do starting this week? What's one thing that you can do this week that's going to help determine how you respond and how you see your situation? So right now, like, what, what is a goal that you can set? What is, who is one person that you can talk to that's going to help you keep accountable to that thing? What are habits? Maybe you're here today, and in the past you've had some habits. In the past you've, you've made commitments, saying, I'm going to read this Bible plan, or I'm going to commit to praying um, 20 minutes a day, every day. But you're feeling a little discouraged. You feel like, you know, you've, you, you've failed on that goal time and time again, and you just get to a place where you like, don't feel that you can make that goal again because you're just going to disappoint, or you're just going to fail again. Start today. Re- recommit. Like, what is, how can you recommit that habit? Because, yes, we are going to fail. Every single one of us in here, you know, we are going to fail. But what happens is actually we have to choose to get back up again and try again. Because these habits are so important. They help foster that relationship. And I would hate for anyone in this room to miss out on our opportunity for intimate relationship with God because they feel discouraged or because they feel like they've failed. God doesn't want us to come into his presence feeling like a failure. He doesn't want us to come into a presence with this guilt. So we can come to him with confidence anew each and every day. So why don't you close your eyes right now?
And I want you to think about one thing, if it's a new habit or an old habit, that you want to do this week. Something practical. If it's praying on your way to work, if it's reading a chapter a day, what's one thing that's going to help you determine how you respond and how you see your situation? Who's one person you can help keep you accountable to that? Who's one person who's going to help you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.communitychurch.ca.